Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's the thing. Justin, did you realize that The Boy from Oz wasn't the first time that Peter Allen was on Broadway? I mean, granted, it's Hugh Jackman as Peter Allen, but many people don't realize that the actual individual Peter Allen was on Broadway a couple of times, most infamously in the late 80s. Are you aware of this? I only recently became aware of this. I did not know about it um, beforehand, but um, once I did learn about the show that he made on Broadway, I was like, that is very... It just didn't fit with the whole, you know, character no. of, uh, of the story. It's unusually uncharacteristic Peter Allen. Very you know, much he so. was always yes. so himself. And then in the late 80s, he writes this huge Broadway show called Legs Diamond. And it's considered one of the more legendary flops. Now, granted, we were struggling mm. in musical theater in the late 80s in America. But we were struggling so bad that we thought it would be a good idea to open a show cold, like they didn't, hadn't had any out-of-town tryout, in which Peter Allen was playing a gangster in, the, in like Depression-era times in the U.S., trying to break into show business, which is crazy because at this point he was so well known as being an Aussie and gay. And so now he's playing mm. this like ladies man gangster from the United States who just wants to tap dance. And everyone was like, not buying it. No, I, 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 hearing you say it, something about that doesn't add up. But here's the thing. It's not all bad. Like, the show isn't all bad, but it closes after only 60 performances. He still had a great sense of humor about it. I think on closing night, uh, he said something like, thank you for letting me do this because I don't think I'm going to be doing it at the Tony Awards. (laughs) (laughs) So he he knew. Yeah, he knew it wasn't fine. (laughs) But then what's an even kind of more beautiful ending to all of that is that one of the greatest songs from The Boy From Oz my name and lights is from legs diamond as are the two judy garland numbers so like go figure right one of the biggest flops then ends up helping this show become one of the biggest hits (laughs) 
Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're covering the musical The Boy From Oz with another Boy From Oz. He happens to be the host of his own podcast called Theater Thoughts. Everyone, please welcome from Australia, Mr. Justin Clark. Hooray! Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much. How how's summer on the other side of the world? It's um it's very wet at the moment. Which really? Is, uh, which is, yeah, is we're that going unusual? through a La Nina. Oh sure, good old yes. La Nina. Yeah, so it's um not very hot at the moment, which is disappointing because I recently moved to the uh down near the coast, so okay. I was expecting like this beautiful summer where I could go to the beach and I don't tan very much because I'm a ginger, so I just burn. <laughs> so just got to connect like... those freckles a little bit, but exactly. But now you just got mud, is what you're telling me. Yeah, just very sandy and very wet. So yeah, <laughs> it's not the best summer, but we're we're going through it. Tell everybody why you started your podcast. So I run uh, my own site, uh, Theatre Thoughts, and it's a site basically uh, to promote theatre in Sydney. Um, And I'm trying to like push it out to other states as well. And I go and review shows. So I started it mainly as when I was living in the UK, I just basically Hmm. wanted to review shows and, and just get my thoughts out there. Um, And then it's become just so much more, um, busy with theatre kicking off in Sydney. So it became not just my thoughts, but trying to get everyone else um, on board and other people on board to share their thoughts as well. And so, then I became a little bit stagnant with everything and I was like, how can I push this more than just a site? Um, and seeing how podcasts are taken off all over the world, I was like, all right, I can give that a go. Um, I'll give it a go. I like something new. So I started my own podcast and it's been a journey so far of, you know, ups and downs and trying to get things right and everything (laughs) going, getting guests on, but everyone's really keen to come on and have a chat about themselves and their shows. So it's, um, yeah, that's how it basically started. And, um, it's, it's going fun so far. That's fantastic. I mean, you know how a pet peeve of actors is that when you tell people what you do, they go, Oh, that sounds fun. You know what I mean? And yes. twofold for podcasting because everyone Literally. thinks, oh, that's fun. You just sit around and talk. Oh, if that was only the part of podcasting. It's a whole um, it's a whole process. It's a whole thing for sure. Well, that's amazing. Questions? Because I'm a little ignorant. I've never been to Australia. I haven't been to the UK yet, which seems really strange. That's like my mother motherland. That's my grandmother yeah, exactly. land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had always heard that like UK people look down on Australia is that um, true? Not that I ever saw. I found when I lived over there uh, that they loved Australians. Uh, okay, cool. But like, if anything, in the, but as like a fun little like sideshow thing, <laughs> like <laughs> like look at the Australian. See how how cowboy like they are. I sometimes feel that way about being an American, where it's like, I, oh, ooh, I, I I do country line dancing. I'm I'm a novelty. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was for us, they, they find a lot of, um, they, and they do look down on. So like, for instance, we have these, a lot of our food. So we have like Vegemite and Tim Tans, which is, you know, Australians. We love them. Yes, of course. Um, but you go over there and you talk about having Vegemite on your toast and they go, Oh, Vegemite. Oh, like, don't you have, don't you have Marmite? And, and then <laughs> Tim Tams, they go, Oh, we have Tim Tams. They're called penguins. They're so much better than Tim Tams. And you're like, Oh, look, I don't oh know about that. Are those cookies or like, yeah, biscuits? they're, 
they're like biscuits, uh, kind of like the middle is like a uh, two wafers uh, in between chocolate, but then wrapped in this really um, rich chocolate. Uh, that that uh, sounds delightful. Oh, it is so good. And then you do what's called the Tim Tam Slam, which is where you bite off one end, you dunk it in your, your tea, uh, uh-huh. your coffee, and then you suck like a straw and it melts all the chocolate inside. So then all the chocolate becomes like this really chocolatey drink, but it melts very quickly. So you got to do very, you got to do it very quick. So you just got to get it down. That sounds fun. Yeah. We have a thing where you stack as many Oreos as you can as though it were a skyscraper. And then, and then you just shove them in your mouth. That's how we do things here. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Um, well, that's cool. I ask because today we get to learn a lot about Australia, and I'm so grateful you came on. The Boy from Oz, right? Mm. Have you seen it? Do you know about it? It Question was mark. one of the first um, shows I think I I saw. Um, really? Was, yeah, it was back when Hugh Jackman did it in Australia. This was... Um, I, I can't remember if it was before he went to Broadway with it or after. It I, I think... From memory, it, it, must, it must have been before he went to Broadway mm. um, and won the Tony. So my mum took me to see it because she knew that I liked musical theatre. Um, and Thanks, she wanted mom. me to. I know, it was the best. And she took me, she used to take me to like all the Disney on Ice um, shows <laughs> that we had. So that's kind of like where it started. And then, uh, and then she took me to see The Boy From Oz. And, and it was mainly because she used to go with my grandma um, to go and see shows. And Aww. then she wanted me to kind of pick that up as well. So we went to see it. I didn't know anything about it. Obviously, I was really young. Right. And um, the first thing you see from him is he descends from a piano from the roof of this massive stadium um, onto the stage. And you're like, okay, this is not just like a show. This is an experience. (laughs) It was next level. That's so cool. I wasn't able to see it, but I have watched several bootlegs of said musical. Now... In past episodes, we have discussed star vehicles that, okay. d- especially during the golden age of musical theater here in the States, there was a time period where star vehicles were the way to get people into the theater. Yeah. And the, the problem that came about with these star vehicles is that sometimes the writing wasn't that awesome because it was depending solely on the, on the star power of the, of the performer to make it work. And also producers didn't love it because if the star gets sick or tired or both the audiences don't come because they don't they're not really interested in seeing an understudy or someone else play a role that was meant for that person yeah the star vehicle has kind of died out since that time you know since we went into phantom of the opera lame is wicked time where it's just like plug somebody else into the track and keep this juggernaut going However, I think the closest that we have ever come in modern musical theater is Boy From Oz. This show was a success and is successful because of Hugh Jackman. A hundred percent. I was actually reading an article like when we were setting up this podcast and the article was actually talking about that specifically. And um, it ended on saying something like uh, when when, um, this show goes on tour, what will become of it? Because right. obviously Hugh Jackman can't go on tour. He's a very busy man. So, yeah, will the show have legs without 
in Australia, it's become it's come back without Hugh Jackman. Um, there was an Australian performer called Todd McKenney who did it here, and it was still a success. Everyone loved it, um, mainly. But again, it it did rely on that star vehicle that Todd McKenney is a you know a famous Australian performer, and mm. I think without him in it, uh, if it was just an unknown. It would have not played at one of the big theaters. Would have to like start a small theater maybe, and then work its way up. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I do understand like why producers would be very iffy about um, having a star vehicle in um, in, in performances. Um, here's a question for you: In the '80s, the U.S. started really getting into what has now become an incredibly popular Australian export: movie stars. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Mel Gibson, Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, The Hemsworths, Margot Robbie, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette. It's insane how much yeah. talent has come from over there. Now, in the case of Peter Allen, whose life and career this this musical encapsulates, how does he measure up? Do most people there know who he is? I I would say a lot of people who was let's say like they're the Gen Z uh, era, mm-hmm. if I said Peter Allen, they would probably go, who? Don't know. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about what made Australian, the music industry, you know, famous and world-renowned, his name is cemented in there. Mm. Um, but in terms of who would know him, I, I mean, I would argue that not a lot of younger people would because we don't really hear his music. I can't remember the last time I heard a Peter Allen song. Right. Um, apart from listening to this musical. Mm-hmm. So I think like uh, with Australian exports, um, if I were to like pinpoint where it started, it, it actually, I would argue it started with uh, Crocodile Dundee, basically Paul Hogan. Yeah. Um, he oh, I didn't would, even put Paul Hogan, but absolutely. That's yeah, right in he, the 80s, he right there. He started it. Oh, very much so. He started like the image of Australian kind of, who we were and obviously it was very stereotypical like you mm-hmm. know wrestling crocodiles and spiders and snakes and all that stuff sure. um and then i think as our talent grew and grew we did have Kate blanchett we have hugh jackman and all these beautiful like theater people started becoming bigger and bigger as well yeah well it's so fascinating to me to watch how art from australia and new zealand uh, really just invade the entire world right at, right mm-hmm. at the top of the 80s. And Peter Allen is probably just before that big hit. Like he's like late 70s into the early yeah. 80s, right? Yeah. So he is kind of ushering the door open for everybody to like run through <laughs> yeah. uh, later on in the decade. Um, when you talk about, you know, the last time that you've heard a Peter Allen song, I think in my life, if I hear one of his songs, it's usually done with a bit of camp and uh, and kind of winking at how overly emotional it is, like Don't Cry Out Loud or uh, or the theme from Arthur, yeah. which actually won him an Academy Award. Like those types of songs have become almost parodies of themselves in the way that they're used now, which makes it such an interesting catalog of music to pull from from for a musical because it's asking the audience to take a different look at these songs and and possibly take them more seriously than you would well actually in saying that um uh one of the songs that isn't included on the soundtrack from boy from oz anymore is tenerfield saddler Mm -hmm. um 
It's kind of like a, a bonus, uh, a bonus track now on on uh, yeah, Spotify. It is, and I and I was reading up on it, and I was like, "What do you mean it's not on the track?" I clearly remember Hugh Jackman sitting there singing "Tenerfield Sadler." It was a beautiful song, and it's probably the most autobiographical song in the Boy From Oz because it's about uh, his father who committed suicide. It's about um, Peter Allen. It's about his grandfather. Mm. Um, it's a gorgeous song. It's very much like brings the whole show in on this one emotional point and it's not included in the soundtrack which i was like that's that's really strange and a very australian song as well yeah um what about i still call australia home is that a well-known song uh that's like that is probably if apart from i go to rio um mm. that's probably like up there with the best known song from that show that's like plastered all over Qantas ads. We've had so many renditions of that song. Um, it's still that one, actually, now that I say it, I should probably take back the last time I heard a Peter Allen song because that is <laughs> the biggest that, Peter Allen song. But it's just become synonymous with, you know, just Australia itself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a gorgeous song. And in the show itself, it's actually a showstopper because I don't know how they how they did it on other tours, but... When I saw it, um, he's, he's singing up on stage, he's got the massive chorus, and then at the big finale, um, they pull an Australian flag over the audience. Um, oh, my gosh. Like this, yeah, it was because it was in this big stadium that isn't in Sydney anymore. It's been changed to apartments, um, which is sad. Boo. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it moved somewhere else. I think it's like the Kudos Bank Arena now. Um uh, <laughs> And they they pulled from the stage the Australian flag all the way over this lower floor audience. Um, oh my gosh! The, the patriotism, yeah. though. Yeah, very much patriotic. Yeah, that's so. That's really sweet. I love that. So, has it reached the level of like "My Country Tis of Thee" or something like over here? With like the, those are the types of songs that get sung before the national anthem at like the Super Bowl. You know, they're songs that kind of everybody knows. Yeah, literally, because Qantas picked it up and ran with it as like. What is their... Qantas? Sorry, Qantas is sorry. That's our um our main like airline. Um, oh, okay. Your... Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. The one yes, with the I kangaroo know. on the tail. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's like our main kind of airline. They picked it up as like their theme. So I'd say it's a better anthem than our actual anthem, to be honest. Hey. We'll see. Yeah. So the cultural footprint already, just by talking to you this much, the cultural footprint of Peter Allen in your country is bigger than I knew. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, no, the more I talk about it, the more you actually kind of reflect. Oh, hang on a second. It's kind of like just secretly embedded in there. Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii. So now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you it's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musical theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, so in terms of this musical itself, we can't really talk about the life of Peter Allen to introduce it because that's literally what the show's about. We'll mm. wait to get to that. We'll wait to get to that when we actually go through the show. Instead, uh, we'll talk briefly about some of the people who made it happen. So first up is this guy by the name of Stephen McLean, who was obsessed with showbiz and and was like a a writer and journalist in Australia. And in particular, he was really interested in Peter Allen. He saw him perform. Because Peter Allen, on top of being a writer, was this great showman in a time when cabaret singers were the thing. In America, we think of like Tom Jones, like that sort of uh, Liberace even. You could find yeah. comparisons with him and and Peter Allen. This kind of Vegasy like lounge singer that was really, really popular at the time. And so he saw him do one of those shows and wanted to meet him. He interviewed him several times, followed him all over the world, and ultimately wrote a biography about him. And he thought that you know the story was really interesting, so he always assumed that it would become a movie. And instead, what it ended up becoming was a stage musical with Peter Allen's music to help tell the story. That makes The Boy From Oz a jukebox musical, the writer of the script is, an, is a guy by the name of Nick Enright, uh, a famous Australian screenwriter. He was nominated for an Oscar for Lorenzo's Oil, which is a George Miller movie, another great film guy from Australia, uh, Mad Max himself. It premieres, the whole show premieres in 1998, but doesn't come to New York until 2003. And do you have any guesses as to why that would be? The Australian musical isn't, uh, I'd say in that time, it wasn't a thing. Uh, yeah. We didn't have a lot of Australian musicals. And to be honest, we still don't have a great deal of like blockbuster Australian musicals, which is upsetting because there was so much talent here. Um, Absolutely. We do have musical, like Australian musicals, but nothing to match this level, I'd say. In terms of me being introduced into the musical theatre world of Australia, the only person I knew of pre The Boy From Oz was Caroline O'Connor because she's oh, like, yes. you know, diva, right? Yeah. She's an uh, amazing performer from Australia. And it's so interesting that you said that the show needed legs. I dare say that those legs needed to be Hugh Jackman's very long legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's talk about Hugh Jackman because this is a really interesting story. He... Yeah. Grows up in, in Australia, right? His parents get divorced when he's very, very young. His mom moves back to England with his sisters, I think. And he stays with his dad and his brothers. He's a, a little bit girl crazy. And the only way for him to spend time with girls is to do drama. Yeah. But then uh, what's so amazing is that on top of that, he finds a community and finds belonging. He graduates college. He does a couple of productions there. And... It seems like pretty immediately gets offered a role on Neighbors, which that's like 
a whole thing over there, right? Neighbors. Yeah, literally, if you want to be a star, uh, you need to go through Neighbors or Home and Away. And it's been proven <laughs> time and again, uh, Kylie Minogue, Hugh yes. Jackman, Chris Hemsworth, um, who else? Um, I'm pretty sure Margot Robbie. Um, Margot Robbie. So yeah, on one of them. So yeah, and Neighbors uh, is like a it's a soap opera, but a yeah. little bit lighter than American soap opera. Do you think? Yeah, it's not like um, the level of you know the Bold and the Beautiful. Sure. It's it's more kind of laid back Australia suburban drama, but it's been going for years and years and years so wow. it's kind of reached that level of they'd have to keep it fresh and do twists and turns oh they're alive but they're actually i thought right. they were dead but uh, yeah <laughs> like that's if you want to be a, a well-known star you have to go through there you have to start on neighbors so he yeah. gets offered a role of course because he's six three and gorgeous and connect uh yeah. he actually turns it down though so he can keep studying and he goes to academy like a performance academy and really falls in love with theater that leads to him being cast in the 1999 London production of Oklahoma. And yes. this is, I can't tell you how obsessed I am with the fact that Oklahoma was responsible for launching Hugh Jackman's career. Like, how cool is that? This, this is old Rodgers and Hammerstein show <laughs> gave us one of our biggest stars to date. I mean, he is incredible in that. They, they filmed it. He's, mm. he's absolutely perfect. Do you like that version? It's the Susan Stroman choreographed... Trevor Nunn directed it, L- London Royal Shakespearean Company. I, I haven't actually watched the full Oklahoma um, musical before, but I've, I've seen the videos of him in it, and he is just, it's just him. Like, he's hes a star. He's, yeah. he's just born for the stage, and he's got this charisma about him that you just can't help but, but love. And, it, and then it's, a, it's not... an incredible voice on top of it all. Incredible. So it's not surprising that it made him big. Um, yeah. There's actually a story that he tells about being in Oklahoma um, and being cast as Wolverine at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so that's what's he, so insane. Yeah, yeah. So he um, he was um, rehearsing for Oklahoma. Uh, I think it, he either started um, the rehearsals or um, was just about to go on. And he had the um, audition for Wolverine for the X-Men Marvel films. And he didn't know like if he was going to get it. He was very rushed for time. So he... Went there, did the audition. He thought it was, like, horrible. And then we all know what happened from there. He became Wolverine and um, became a star. So I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why it took so long for Boy From Oz to come to New York is because Hugh Jackman was just so freaking busy from 1999 on. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I don't have the number on me. But in 18 months, he made, like, six films. Like he he was working like a maniac and also proving himself to be one of the most versatile actors that we have because he's doing sci-fi, you know, with Wolverine. He's doing romantic comedy with Kate and Leopold. He's doing action with Swordfish. Yeah, literally. And I remember the one one of the earliest roles he did in Australia was on a um an old TV show. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it was where he met his wife, uh, Deborah mm-hmm. Lee Furness. But she was actually a bigger star than he was. Um, Come on, Deborah was, Lee. I know. She was. She had this big name about it. It was Deborah Lee Furness and then newcomer Hugh Jackman. And they fell in love on set. And then um, obviously Hugh's just kind of surpassed the, the, fame, the fame of it. But Deb still does um, a lot of 
she's become more of like a social activist and she does a lot for adopting children um, and adoption services because um, that's what they did. They adopted their right. um, their children. Um, and but he she, loves her so much. I mean, she was, she's been very open with the fact that they really struggled to conceive and she had miscarriages mm. and such and they've been able to adopt. And man... We gays love to like say Hugh Jackman's really gay, blah blah blah. Uh, I've these had two, <laughs> these two people seem very much in love. Like it's yeah. almost nauseating. <laughs> yeah, I remember my my friends were always like, um, "We saw him in Boyfriend Oz." He's that that whole thing is like that's a that's a cover. I know for sure that's a cover. It's like that's <laughs> oh, that's you a know long for cover, sure? really. Yeah. Like, that's a long cover to commit to. That's a, a very long amount of years they've been together to kind of have this image. Yeah. Uh, and she seems to be a great confidant for him as well. Like, they are always, she, he says that he rarely goes on an, on an audition that he hasn't rehearsed with her first, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. you said she's a director, she's an actor, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, exactly. When he does finally bring Boy From Oz to New York... He has cemented himself as a very hetero, hairy-chested heartthrob. <laughs> yeah. And so to decide to do a musical and to play a flamboyant Australian entertainer that most people probably don't know, I mean, I hate to use the word brave, but that's pretty cool. It is. It's a massive gamble for sure. It is also something I roll my eyes at because this starts the trend of like, oh, straight men are so brave when they can play gay people. (laughs) You know what I mean? This and Brokeback Mountain both kind of fall in place around the same time. And like, I have to be grateful. I do. Because would the boy from Oz been as successful if it was played by an openly gay man? I don't know. I don't know if the world was ready for that. Yeah, it's, it's actually, that's an interesting conversation. Never really thought about that before. I have no answer. It's all hypothetical, of course. Yeah, very but, much, yeah. You know, there's something there to explore in that, okay, if that's what needed to happen at the beginning, then once the door is open, when do we let the people who probably deserve to play roles <laughs> yeah. that are reflective of who they actually are and, and have that kind of representation, when does that kick over? Yeah. What I do think is really interesting about Hugh is that I talk about him like he's my friend. What I find really interesting about Hugh is that he does <laughs> we do have... it all the time. We do right. it all the time. <laughs> we talk about like Hugh and Deb. Like whenever he comes back here, if you live in if you live in uh, Bondi, it, the first thing he always does after arriving back in Australia is goes to Bondi Beach for a swim. So you're like, oh, there's Hugh. Hey, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bondi Beach. But he does have a very queer energy. And like oh, very he, much, yeah. And he can be as straight as he wants and uh, and have a wife and be completely happy and also have this amazing queer energy that completely sells the show. So, like, yeah. more power to you, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, you go for it, man. <laughs> yeah. Great. So, Hugh Jackman obviously wins the Tony Award for Best Actor. This leads to him also hosting the Tony Awards three times in a row and doing an incredible job. He wins an Emmy for one of them. And any worries that this type of choice was going to dampen his career uh, are quickly diminished because not only has his career continued, but it's gotten even more interesting and varied with things like Les Mis and The Greatest Showman, which I think people 
also probably rolled their eyes out and thought wouldn't be successful and he proved them all wrong. Yeah. So that's kind of the history of The Boy From Oz. It doesn't necessarily get great reviews. To be honest, everybody is undeniably impressed by Hugh Jackman, but they're like, the show's not that great, but man, oh man, is this a star performance? And it's enough for the show to run long enough to make money and recoup its investment and be be it a huge hit. Yeah, and I think um, after like doing my research to kind of catch up on where Boy From Oz sits, that is that's probably the feel of it. It is like it's a good musical. It's entertaining, um, but it does rely. It lives or dies on who you cast as Peter Allen. And you I will either- say, in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, there was a LGBTQ focused theater company that produced a production of The Boy From Oz in a very, very small space. LA is known for like intimate theater. So we're talking like 99 seats, postage stamp size stage. And it was really, really well received. Yeah. And I think that when this show gets blown up too much, that's when it may start to feel like a Vegas-y slick cabaret act which is fine to be honest because that's where peter allen comes from i don't have a problem with that but if you wanted to maybe be considered a more legit piece of musical theater maybe take it down to its bare bones and see what you can find and i think that's that comes down to i guess who who you want your audience to be and down to nick Enright and george miller with their writing of it um if you want that big vegas style performance go for it you gotta Mm -hmm go all out to get it. But at its bare bones, you can do that um, real intimate performance of it. But I think to get that right, you need someone who is able to like sit down and play the piano and brings that heart and soul and realism into, into the story. Well, speaking of heart and soul, let's go through the heart and soul of the show. Yeah, like you mentioned, it begins with Peter Allen himself, right? Recalling his life story. And he sings this song called The Lives of Me, which is really beautiful. After he kind of introduces us to the fact that, hey, I'm going to be (laughs) literally narrating my own story. We go back to his childhood, which you mentioned is Tenderfield, right? Yeah. What is that place like? That's like big time country area. Yeah. You have your big cities, obviously, like Sydney, um, Mm -hmm. down where I live, Wollongong, which is like coastal city. And then if you go out further west, you're heading further and further into the outback and Mm. you become smaller and smaller and smaller into such these rural towns that have such a mix of cultures, um, large indigenous populations and um, like farmers. And to think about Peter Allen in a rural town, it's so juxtaposition, like the juxtaposition of it is just insane. So that it makes sense that he's like, I don't belong here. I need to get out. To be clear, this is very much my childhood. I mean, I wasn't, okay. I wasn't performing in local bars because I'm from Utah. We don't believe in alcohol. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, Peter is like tap dancing in the local bars for money. And like my grandpa would take me on cattle drives and, and have me dance for like the people who were buying the cattle. And I would shamelessly, you know, do it. No problem. Um, so when I see it happen in this musical, it, my heart is just full for this little boy who on Broadway, by the way, is a freak of nature. This kid like pulls off all the stops. He's doing backflips. He's, he's tapping his face off. He's uh, jumping off of pianos. It's an, it's an incredible performance. He, he sings when I get my name in lights. It's amazing. 
That's incredible. I love tap. Like I'm a sucker for tap. Anytime a musical does tap, I'm just like, I'm just there. The only, yeah, that- the, like if Hamilton is like one of my favorite musicals, but the only thing that could have elevated it to like all time status is if like they chucked a tap number in there. I would have just, just been like, tap number in like thank King you, Lynn. George. Like, yeah, oh, I would have, if they chucked in a tap number for King George, um, no one could ever argue with me that it's not the greatest musical. Uh, it would just be amazing. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, Peter, I mean, that's really all of the childhood we get to see. But my gosh, when that little kid does that number, I guess we don't really need to ask for much more. So we immediately change uh, back to grown up Peter. And he joins up with his friend Chris Bell to become like the Allen brothers. And they start performing on these variety shows during the like 70s. Mm. So they're singing this like really bizarre song called Love Crazy. I mean, it's just, it's the song of a, of its time. They have enough success that they start traveling internationally and are performing in a Hong Kong uh, hotel to like Chinese businessmen. And it just so happens, and this is absolutely bonkers, it just so happens that one night when they're performing, Judy Garland is in the audience. Literally the the Judy Garland. And yeah. so in the musical, Peter convinces her to perform with them and she and she sings and they immediately hit it off. And Judy offers to take him to be her opening act in New York. Um, they sing this song together called Only an Older Woman, <laughs> which I don't know, but it fits perfectly into the show because Judy's becoming his mentor to, to take him to the next phase in his career. I think that fits perfectly. Like, I mean, Judy Garland being who she was, you know, mentoring Peter Allen, who he was. It's just serendipitous, like, really. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it is about, like, these grand dames of yesteryear, but they really are just fruit fly magnets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just can't help themselves. We gays just, like, flock to them and fall in love with them and create these really strange, intimate relationships that are somewhat, somewhat undefinable. I had this conversation... I had this conversation recently with someone uh, about the LGBT community just being so devoted. Like once you love someone, you love them to the end, no matter what they do, you know, 100%. Kylie, Brittany, Madonna, um, they're the Madonna. Madonna boys. She can do no wrong. Yeah, literally. So it doesn't matter what they do, like the community will love them to the end. Which by the way, Kylie is still killing it. That latest oh, album yeah. is amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. The gays in America are the only ones who understand how amazing Kylie Minogue is in this country. Yeah, like, I mean, my my, my mom, like, loves her. Um, I mean, I, I think she's really good, but I, I don't think I'll ever understand Kylie on the level that the, you know, the LGBT community will. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So they go to America. When Peter arrives in New York, he's introduced to Judy's daughter, Eliza. And once again, because of what we just talked about, they fall in love. You know, they sing the the famous Oscar-winning song from the film Arthur, the best that you can do. And Judy is fully against it, I'm sure, because she recognizes a gay man when she sees one. Uh, but Liza ignores it, and they end up getting married. Now, Liza on Broadway was played by one Miss Stephanie J. Block. Did you know this? No, I didn't. Okay, so, and, you know, Stephanie Block is a huge Broadway star, at this point, but this was one of her first major roles and man, a difficult role to pull off. She is actually a a Californian 
And okay. I'm, a, I'm a member of a group called Musical Theater Guild that she was also a member of. So a few months ago, I guess it was last year, we had we did like this live event, online event with her to raise funds for the educational outreach that I oversee. And I just want to play this little section of it because she was talking about playing Liza in The Boy From Oz. Here we go. It was mammoth. It was scary. It was thrilling. And Hugh Jackman was a, you know, a perfect lead and a perfect co-star and um, just set the tone for any time he was at the rehearsal studio or on stage. And Uh because of that, it was a gloriously happy and loving and supportive company. But trying to bring Liza Minnelli to Broadway was not an easy feat. And it was constantly changing the look of her, the sound of her, how far to, you know, go to be too show busy from the beginning when she was 19 to have that sort of progression into the Liza that we know now and lots of discussions. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I can't. Because here's the, speaking of the gays, right? You're like bringing Liza Minnelli to life for these people who worship her. And it's a version of Liza that kind of predates the Liza that we all know, right? So how yeah. how exactly do you portray that? Um, she didn't get great reviews, but I think that the poetry of all of that is that what she ends up winning her Tony for is Cher. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is another gay icon, right? So, yeah. so like all those years later when she did the Cher show, here's another person that we all know with another voice, with another really iconic look and way of speaking. And this time she takes home the Tony. So yeah. good on you, Stephanie J. Block. Got there in the end. <laughs> exactly. Also, apparently... Liza did contribute ideas and wishes and desires to the the show. She ultimately didn't go see it, and I don't blame her. From the story mm-hmm. goes that Fred Ebb, like of Candor Neb, who wrote Cabaret, went and saw The Boy from Oz, and then told Liza Minnelli, "Like, don't go see it. Uh, your mom dies. Your ex husband dies. You don't need to see that." And yeah, the, like that whole sticky situation of other people watching her watch that. I mean, yeah. you can't blame her. She yeah. she doesn't need to go live through that. She lived exactly. through it once, right? Yeah, yeah. This marriage is really sweet and also incredibly troubled because the more successful that they both get, the more loose he gets with who he's partying with. Ultimately, she confronts him about his homosexuality and their marriage ends at the end of the first act. He processes all of that by singing one of many, I think, showstoppers called Not the Boy Next Door. Yep. Beautiful song. He done yeah. that one as the Tony performance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I he did like a little medley for the Tony performance, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. All right. So now we're in act two. Peter has gone into this stage that we've already talked about, his cabaret stage where he's doing these one one man shows and he meets this model named Gregory Connell and they fall in love. He kind of becomes his stage manager and also designs all the lighting like he kind of runs lights. And so spoiler alert, when Greg contracts AIDS and passes away, Peter Allen would always perform right into the lights because that's where he would always be. 
Isn't that so sweet and oh, sad? Oh, that's really sweet. Oh Look my gosh, this. it makes me it makes me all like weepy to think about it. Yeah. During this period of time when he's fallen in love is also when some of his greatest hits come about. He writes, I honestly love you for Olivia Newton-John. He gives this really campy performance at Radio City Music Hall with the Rockettes um, okay. with the song Everything Old is New Again. And uh, they they like recreate it for the musical and it's fantastic. This is kind of where I wanted to actually ask you about the role of kitsch and camp in Australian art, or okay. specifically performance art. Because when I think of a lot of my favorite Australian films, Muriel's Wedding, Strictly Ballroom, there is a level of camp to the performance. They're kind of kitschy. Uh, maybe a little grotesque, Chris Lilly stuff, you know, all of that, it seems to be part of Australia's humor. Am I reading that correctly or what's your take on it? I would say so. Um, I think the two that you mentioned, like they, they became musicals. They became like probably two of our biggest musicals apart from Boy From Oz, you know, Muriel's Wedding and, uh, and Strictly Ballroom. Um, and then obviously you've got, just won the Tony, uh, Moulin Rouge, Mm -hmm. um, Sure. And I think one of our, like, kitschiest, I wouldn't say camp so much, but, like, one of our kitschiest sort of films, which is, um, I think it, it's it's probably the most well-known film in Australia, is The Castle. Um, hmm. It's uh, It's got so many one-liners from it that Australians quote daily. Um, like, whenever you... <laughs> Whenever you go out somewhere and, um, you know, it's beautiful surroundings, say you go to the beach, you just stand there, you go, oh, how's the serenity? And it's just like this, and everyone says it. Anyone who's like an Australian listening to it right now will know exactly what I'm talking about. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never um, seen this or heard of it. I have to check it out. But yeah, but the kitchen and in camp in Australia, especially in the performance industry, it's very well received, mainly on the rise of the LGBT community. Mm. But there is a lot of change in our performance industry and it's becoming more about showing messages and getting change happening. And mm. I think through like the camp nature and the, and, and kitchen um, in Australian theater, that's how it's happening. It's a big change from Mira's wedding days, strictly ballroom days. And now it's becoming an, a whole different beast in itself, which that's is interesting. a fascinating change. So in many ways, and this is what I'm hearing. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost as though campy performances our favorite drag queens, whatever. Mm. It's those types of performances that allow a greater message to be delivered because it's dressed up in something that's kind of ridiculous. Literally. And the drag scene in Australia is massive. It is Mm. so big at the moment, mainly thanks to RuPaul, I believe. I Uh, watched the season. I did. Yeah. It's great. It is, it is great. I watched it with my friends. I was like, I didn't think it would be something I'd like, but I was like, this is brilliant. This is <laughs> so good. And and you're right. It's how, it's like we're getting these messages that we want to get across, but we wrap it in glitter. Um, and and, it's, and I, it's see, I see some of that in Peter Allen, you know, who yeah. was very upfront about saying that his onstage persona was very different from his offstage that he was, you know, flamboyant and over the top on stage and and much more I don't want to say serious, but a a little bit more sober 
offstage, especially with his relationships, Hugh Jackman said that Liza Minnelli, when he met her, she grabbed his face and said he wasn't just over the top. He was also uh, incredibly heartfelt and trustworthy, um, which I think is really interesting. So this way of like revealing yourself by being over the top first is something that I feel like is kind of Australian and um, and maybe a really great representation to have here in this in this musical. And I think like if we're getting really deep with it, it it, it may come back to our inherent prejudices in Australia. Sure, I mean um, we all have them, but yeah, totally. Yeah, and there's a there was a whole thing um, a couple of years ago where we did what's called a plebiscite, which is controversial in itself. Basically, the plebiscite was it, it was it was based around gay marriage and whether we should make it legal in Australia. Um, but the plebiscite wasn't a this is a vote of yes or or no. It was a a poll, and it was this whole controversial thing about you know why are we spending money on a poll for yes or no when you could just make it a referendum and just go, yeah, this should be legal. Um, Oh, interesting. And, you know, what Australians, like older Australians, the boomers, let's say, had of what people should be, but on stage you can be whoever you want. Right. You have all the freedom. to it. Yeah. And it's so, it's it's, um, like the contrast between the two is fascinating. Like on stage, you know, we love it. We go, oh, I love this person, love this drag queen. Um, but why don't we like them as a, uh, when they're off stage? Why do right. they have to be someone different? Why don't they deserve any sort of right or privilege that you that you enjoy? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And I also wonder if, as performers, we sometimes inherently feel that prejudice, and so we, you know, we dance monkey dance to mm. to earn people's love because. Yeah maybe we're not entirely sure we'll get it otherwise. Yeah, and I think that comes back to Peter Allen, like where he grew up and the whole um, story with his father and the town he would have lived in. He would have had to learn to hide himself. Um, mm-hmm. But then when he's on stage and, and he's performing, he's doing these tap dance in these rural towns, everyone would have been like, oh, this is entertaining. Like, yeah, look at this kid. Look at this kid. Uh, we can be proud of him. Look at all that he can do. Yeah. Exactly. And then he, you know, had to break away from that because I guarantee offstage would have been a whole different story. Yeah. So actually getting back to the story, the older that Peter Allen gets, the more open he becomes with his sexuality. I mean, you weren't out and proud at that time. Like that was not a thing. Uh, but he did fall in love with Greg. In the show, Greg uh, tests positive for HIV and then contracts AIDS and he finally passes away. Peter also becomes sick with AIDS. They actually use, you know, once again, this kind of campy song that I honestly love you that we that we almost use humorously now to really show how it's the love that Peter still has for this man that helps him push through his illness and keep keep working. Liza comes back at the end of the second act to connect with Peter and they kind of make peace and realize that their careers wouldn't have been as successful without the other person. What's really cool about this show is as if it hadn't been a star vehicle already, this last section is just freaking showstopper after showstopper for Hugh Jackman. He goes back to Australia and performs this magnificent concert 
and sings I Still Call Australia Home, which we've already discussed. We hear his mother sing Don't Cry Out Loud, which is just a really tragic sort of commentary on how they couldn't be emotionally vulnerable with each other. Yeah. And then right before Peter dies, he sings Once Before I Go. Talk about dying in style. I love yeah. that they give him this this death, right? Because this yeah. song is is just huge. And then it's almost like he goes to heaven and heaven is I go to Rio. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like his dream. Which and is that his is dream such come a, true. Such a number. It is yeah. like one of the best ways to end a, a musical I've seen. Because this honestly could be a very sad musical right where Mm. everybody dies and (laughs) tragically from a disease that no one really understood at the time so many things went unsaid Uh, there here i go using that word again brave but it is brave to end a show this happy you know yeah because ultimately i think what peter allen's career was was charisma and onstage energy and you got to pay tribute to that you got to pay tribute to that contribution yeah, definitely. And it just goes to show that the artists who create art are, hum- are humans. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the things that make them special are the things that also make their stories tragic. And I guess it isn't so much that the tragedy exists, but what they do with it. That's inspirational to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think as well, like, Peter Allen will always be immortalized in this musical now. Amen. You're so right. You're so right. We They are now synonymous. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Thank you so much, Justin, for doing this with me. So much fun. No, thank you. This has been great. I loved actually like kind of just delving into something and, and to revisit The Boy From Oz, um, you know, jumping way back in my memory is actually, <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel really nice, really, really good. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast. While you're at it, subscribe, rate, leave us a nice review. We would really appreciate it. We even have other things to help you feel connected to us in this lovely podcast community, including a tea public store where you can purchase designs based on episodes past and present. And don't forget about Patreon exclamation point where for only $1 a month, you'll receive bonus episodes and special content made especially for you just to say thanks. Hey, Justin, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? So you can follow us on our Instagram and Facebook. It's at Theatre Thoughts Oz. Uh, Oz is in A-U-S, not O-Z, which is the shorter version. Oh. So, yeah, at Theatre Thoughts Oz. You can also follow us online, uh, theatrethoughtsoz.online, um, or just search us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Fantastic. It's so great to talk with you. Please enjoy your beautiful day over there. I hope the sun comes out. If not today, then tomorrow to quote another exactly. musical yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and to everybody out there let's go to rio yeah let's do it i'm gonna get my maracas out i do actually have maracas from day. when i went you to do Boys. not i do i should have actually had them here why didn't i have them here they're somewhere on my shelf
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.